Hey up friends, how's it going? It's Matt. I'm just back from a lovely trip to Larks in the Swiss Alps. And very nice it was too. Went there for the Sunrush Bank Slalom and the Tidal Art Show featuring luminaries such as Jamie Lynn Scofe, Mike Mailman, Danny Larson and plenty more. And a very nice time I had too. Bit of a last minute one that. Guys at Larks asked me if I wanted to go over and record some interviews. So I thought, why not? Uh, had a very nice day snowboarding with one of my oldest friends great to hang out with everybody but um yeah i'm back now trying to take care of a bit of podcast business and yeah i did record a couple while i was there including this one with my old friend vernon deck now vernon is a photographer who's been part of the snowboarding industry for for years really i mean i've known him good two decades or thereabouts first as a freelancer and then latterly as volcom's in-house snow photographer which is a great gig um as you're going to hear that would probably be enough to warrant an episode of its own but there's another side to Vernon's life that meant I was I was really determined to get him on the show to be honest when he's not shooting snowboarding he lives in a sailboat and he's slowly making his way around the world documenting the entire thing through his fantastic YouTube series learning by doing now he's given himself a good couple of decades to do this I think and I've been watching Vernon's adventures unfold over the last few months on Instagram and through the YouTube shows and as the months went on, I, I basically became increasingly intrigued. I mean, one of the great things about learning by doing is how multi-layered it is. You know, on the one hand, it's a great droll record of Vernon's adventures, but it's also a really thoughtful, sensitive series of documentaries about some of the world's lesser known corners. Recent episodes have seen Vernon visit the Solomon Islands, Java, where he's documented the lives of communities he's met with real sensitivity and thoughtfulness and these are some of the most remote communities in the world i really cannot recommend it highly enough so please do make sure you go out and and check it out after listening to this episode so at the end of last year i contacted vernon to come on the show he was up for it we'd just been trying to sort a few dates out had a couple of near misses but yeah we were finally able to sit down and record this highly enjoyable one during the aforementioned trip to larks now one of the things i'm learning about the show over the months is that these episodes with lesser known members of the action sports community who are quietly living these unique and very individual lives are definitely among the most popular i mean i get countless messages from people saying things like came for travis rice stayed for Sean lee and this is definitely one of those episodes i mean of course i covered vernon's career as a photographer the guy i spent 20 years shooting the best snowboarders in the world after all but i was really interested in you know the lifestyle choices how he's ended up living this truly off the grid existence and this is what it's about, as it so often is, living the life you want as honestly as possible. For Vernon, this is tied up with his own thoughts about how he can use his own platform and talents in a positive way. And his quest to live a life as simple, possession-free and experience-filled as possible. So it's inspiring stuff. I'm not going to say any more, really. I'll be back at the end, more of the usual chit-chat. In the meantime, here's my conversation with Vernon Deck, learning by doing. Enjoy. I'm with Vernon. How you doing? I'm doing good, mate. Good to see you again. Yeah, you too. We were funny, innit? We were chatting and we had a period where we hung out loads, didn't we? Like, and then I've not really seen you for years until like ISPO, probably, right? The other week. Obviously, kind of followed each other and know what each other are up to, but it's been a while, isn't it? Like, properly. Like, I wouldn't honestly remember the time before ISPO when I, I saw you last, but. Yeah, I guess these days with social media, we're sort of like... Vicariously living through everybody. Yeah, I yeah. know what you're up to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so how are you doing when you get into town? We're in Lax, I should say. Or Larks, as I got corrected by the bus driver earlier. Yeah, when did you get in town? I got here two days ago, so Tuesday. I've just been hanging out with the artists downstairs for the, the title, the, the artists that are all here for the title art show, and just been catching up with them and watching their... Their artwork develop is pretty amazing, watching the collabs and all that that's going on. So so they've been on site. So it's like Tidal Art Show. Scove, Brian Gucci, is he here? Uh, Brian had to cancel yesterday. Family, family issues. Right. Jay, is um, Jamie then coming? Jamie's arriving today. Is he? Maybe I should try and doorstep him. Yeah, he might be a bit short on time. He didn't bring any art with him. He's got to do it all <laughs> by tomorrow. So typical okay, Jamie yeah. style. He's going to be yeah, busting it out all night. He's probably not going to have time to bang a podcast out then. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's a good, there's Shallow Tree guys here, isn't he? And yep. Danny Larson's here as well. Right? Danny Larson. There's a Japanese guy, Rio, someone. I've been watching his work. It looks, it's mind-blowing how, how it's coming together. 
great so you've been watching them as they basically put their exhibits together and and in some cases actually do the work yeah well some of them bought work with them and like pj larson didn't bring any work he just did a really amazing one just straight off and scope's done one since he's been here one big piece because he wasn't sure if his artwork was going to arrive from the u.s right and i've been in quite a lot of collab stuff and they've just been down in the well, it's the nightclub. It's, it's where the art show is going to be. Yeah. Down there for four whole days, and there's fridges full of Guinness and other sorts of beers and uh, yeah, yeah, real good music sound system. And they've just been down there creating, and it's been amazing to watch it all. Great. Have you filmed any of it, or have you just? Yeah, been, I have. Yeah, uh, yeah. Filmed some and took some photos. I'll be making a video about it. Yeah. Great. And you, are you here, like in an, in an? Because you're obviously Volcom. What what is your actual title? Like staff photographer, kind of thing. Snow photographer. Yeah, I'm the staff snow photographer for Volcom in my 13th year yeah that's that's pretty old yeah are you officially here to do that yeah i mean it's going back a long way but i i I first learned to snowboard and larks so i always come here for this event because it's one of my one of my favorite ones to do and obviously some of the artists are volcom related and came here to hang out and then they actually officially invited me and gave me a hotel room lasted so yeah i'm officially here yeah it's nice that isn't it they were like they were cool with me as well they were kind of like oh yeah come over and do some stuff and yeah but you're famous oh yeah sure right yeah um yeah and i've wanted to come to this event for years actually because it it always looks like proper fun proper old school snowboard event doesn't it well this is the fifth year so it's not one of the very beginning um bank slums but obviously having nicholas and terrier's name on it and them actually building the course gives it pretty big relevance yeah and, um, a bit heft yeah. yeah and larks obviously is sort of the mecca of snowboarding in europe so it's it's a pretty good combination and it's not the easiest of courses so it's uh you know it's it's pretty challenging yeah course. have yeah. you had a go yeah i did the very first year and then i haven't done it since are you gonna ride tomorrow no i i tried i used to ride quite a lot of bank slums and i really love it but if I, if I do it, it's just mediocre photography and mediocre writing. I can't do either good, you know, so I just prefer to try and do the photos. Do, do the good photography. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, it's kind of got my head in both things, yeah. you know, because you're rushing to get back to the top to get your start number and then yeah. in between trying to get some photos, but then you missed half of them while you were getting back up on the lift and so yeah. it's just like not worth it. Yeah. So I really want to talk about your um, YouTube stuff i really want to talk about your photography career as well which is how we originally know each other from the snowboard industry but i really want to talk about the youtube stuff because i'm I, like i said i love it i think it's great and okay. and i love the the, the mission you know that, that you're on so basically you as an overview you've bought a boat in the southern hemisphere around australia and and indo and the solomons and that part of the world basically mm-hmm. you taught yourself to sail Mm-hmm. and you and you're basically exploring that part of the world and documenting it as you go and learning to sail and as you said going off on this adventure basically yeah is that a good summary yep that's pretty pretty accurate it's sort of evolving constantly obviously i just uh decided to that i wanted to sail actually it wasn't um something i've ever wanted to do before i, I grew up on the beach at the ocean so i've always been you know in the in the water Wait, where'd you grow up in a little town called Mochawaka in New Zealand. Okay, where's that? Um, it's the very northern tip of the South Island, basically opposite Wellington. Right. Um, but it's all national park, beautiful sandy beaches and, um, you know, re- real nice. So I grew up there kayaking and doing all the water sports, but I never sailed before. Right. And it was a bit of a transition. For years, I was nearly going to buy a, a mobile home because I was just like, what? I'm a photographer, I'm cruising around all over the place, I love it. Why would I pay rent in one place and never be there? Yeah, because you, I mean, how much are you on the road? You must be on the road, like, for, for work, for shooting, I mean. Like, what, what what do you reckon? Well, back in the day, when I used to shoot two seasons, I'd go to the south, Southern Hemisphere. So you just do the whole thing, basically. Yeah, it was just winters back to back. So yeah. I, I would be maybe 30 days, 40 days at home. Yeah, so it's and, a pointless thing to yeah, do, really. Yeah, I was just really, paying rent in Zurich for nothing. And it was like, just because, well, you need a home base, but... You don't really need a home base if you can take your home with you. Yeah, so that and was so, the, that was the thought. Yeah, I was going to, and then um, just didn't really happen because I was really busy those those few years when I was thinking about that. I was doing a lot of international work then, so I, when like a mobile home wouldn't have helped. I was in, you know spending two or three months in the states in Canada and in Japan and all over the place. So I put that on hold, and then after one really busy season, um, yeah, it was 2014, 2013 had been a crazy busy season of traveling. 
I went to Hawaii for a little holiday. It just came back, like I had a little, on the North Shore in Oahu, I just had a little A-frame house there and just waking up and having the, the wind and the smell of the ocean and the turtles and stuff right on the beach. It just really like made me think back to when I was, when I was young and um, just really wanted to get back to that ocean sort of thing. And so I started Googling, I don't know, you know, the mobile home sort of thing came to my mind. I thought, well, I could do it with a sailboat and started Googling it and started watching some some sailing vlogs, actually. Some, there was a couple of young, youngish brothers that had a boat together and cruising around. And, yeah, it just got into my mind. And so I set a five-year plan to sort of look into it more. Right. And then I had a contract for a shoot in Australia that summer, just a few months after that, actually. So you had no experience. You just were like, you had a, it was just an idea, basically. It yeah, was it was like, just an idea. It's just yeah. like, you know what, I'm going to, going to learn to sail and yeah. and and combine the that with this don't need a, a house like a, a proper land base yeah it was around the same time that the snowboard media industry started changing obviously some of the print mags started closing down and very topical this week eh? <laughs> with trans world yeah exactly. going down the can yeah and you know volcom was having less need for um shoots in in summertime southern hemisphere shoots. yeah um, so your so role I was of, changing. Yeah, I, I I realized that I could probably make myself unavailable for a few months at a time over summer. So that sort of thing. Well, okay. Well, I don't have a house anywhere. I might as well, you know, if, if I can be on a boat, then that's just perfect. Solves all the problems. And just just getting back to that lifestyle, you know. Yeah. So yeah. how did you choose the boat? Did you just do loads of research? Just just basically. Yeah, I did a bit of research online and I read a few books in those few months. And I was in Australia and doing this photo shoot, and I just started going down to marinas and looking at boats. And then I'd ring up a broker and say, "What sort of you know?" I knew, I knew sort of basically the the size, and I obviously knew my budget. Yeah. So I was, I'd ring up and say, "Well, what boats have you got between this and this size, and for that much money?" And they'd be like, "Oh, I can show you four. So I'd go down and. I just went on gut instinct and tried not to come across as a complete kook, you know. And like, um, well, it's mad because it's a proper new arcane world, that isn't it? You know, to suddenly yeah. try and get your head around it's no small thing. That like, yeah. to I mean, I have a like a logical way of thinking. I've always been um, mechanically minded and practical. You know? Practical, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. You know, I used to race motocross and rally cars and so i've always changed engines and i'm, I'm you know i know yeah. you look at something and go like well that's designed badly and yeah whether it you know it translates to other things it's not just of that. course yeah so I had well le- le- learning idea. by doing yeah being the the name of your youtube channel yeah yeah and and that you know that's there's on your patreon there's a almost like a little bit of a manifesto isn't there if you like where you're kind of saying this is what i do like i you know i throw yeah. myself in at the deep end and you know if i've got an idea i just try and commit to it and, and work it out as a go right yeah well that's just always been the way i've done things basically started off with me just hating being at school and getting told what to do and teachers not answering my questions you know like no just learn it you don't need to know why just learn it and spit it back out at exam time and i just always hated that concept you know so i just sort of grew up that way too you know i'd just take things apart and try and put them back together and i just figured if you know if you don't give it a try then you really can only fail you know you're only failing if you don't try so yeah you better have to give it a crack and if you don't succeed well you can still learn something from it and then it gives you a better shot at the next go around yeah it's quite a confident way of living though i think you, you say, you, well i wouldn't say that i mean from when you were a kid basically that was you always had that sort of view on life because presumably you kind of traveled from when you were quite young and yeah, well, I mean, circumstances, life happened, and um, my dad was killed in an accident at quite a young age, and after that, I just just went backpacking, basically. I sort of, that would have been the time I would have been choosing to go to university with all my friends, and I had no idea what I would have wanted to study, and, and with that happening to my dad, it became real clear to me pretty much instantly, like, well, life can be pretty short, there's no point going and studying something for four years and then working out that you don't like it yeah and then starting again or you've got a huge student loan or something and yeah right so i decided to go backpacking and uh that's you know when i got my first camera and i was backpacking around and it just yeah that's where it all sort of started just just go out there and give it a give it a crack and uh you got nothing to lose really the way that's the way i've always looked at it yeah so the photography you kind of same thing just learn as you went just kind of you know worked it out on the, well, on the it was way analog obviously back yeah. then yeah i mean i had no thoughts of becoming a professional photographer i was just 
recording my traveling um shooting some shooting some films and it just developed over a few years i worked to made my way to europe and worked a year and in a formula one team and um we're shooting a lot of background stuff there so you were taking pictures for them no no i was um just working for like privately for the technical director of one of the teams right sounds um very interesting yeah it was it was a definitely a new experience a lot of a lot of traveling and um hanging out with filthy rich people doing <laughs> yeah doing, it's not a poor man's sport though, is it no but it was good and i was just shooting a lot of background stuff i sort of developed my photography and right and it gave me some direction of where i didn't want to go with that um and then i ended up in switzerland and um went up to a actually here to larks to an old isf halfpipe uh event and it would have been 97 right and that was um could you could you ride or was no no right no board in my life oh right so you no. just you just rocked up well yeah i just went up to because there was an event on yeah um, to check it out went up and checked it out and i was really keen on photography at that stage and i was like well it's it's an event you know it's i'll go and take some photos of it yeah and it, it really just sort of struck me really really quickly that that's what i want to take photos of because it was such a big contrast to to formula one or or other sports i'd seen tennis and football and all these sorts of things where where the photographer just sits on the sidelines he's not even part of the the show will go on he's regardless. a passive yeah. pa- passive and observer it happens at this time of the day and it's yeah. you know and every photo it's just basically a group of photographers in one spot all taking the same shot and i realized with that you know the snowboarding as soon as i saw it i was like wow this is this is different like people the photographer is a vital part of you know, lots of these pros back then. Anyway, they were competing, but they were also out shooting or filming as well. Other oh, photographers were were the rock stars back in the day. They were, well, they were like the, the gateway, weren't they? Really? Well, they were a vital part of the of a pro's career. Yeah, exactly. Was, they um, building a relationship with a photographer, and you know, in most other sports, the photographers like the people who are doing the sports wouldn't even have a clue who the photographers are. Most yeah. of them. No, they had a really. I mean, I'm not saying photographers don't have an important role now and obviously we look at someone like spanny with starla you know that's a kind of similar relationship yeah. right mm. but um yeah i mean but then like you say it's a real like kind of coexistence wasn't it you know yeah right they just all seem to be having so much fun too you know like yeah they were they were really rock stars back then that was sort of the you know the, i mean sean palmer was there and it was it was a big big event and they all just looked like they were having so much fun and and it, it really struck me and so yeah that's how i started actually here right here in larks in 98 or 97 it was and um yeah my original crew here was like actually jamie philp gave me my first ever snowboard right and that was my crew was jamie philp nicholas muller alex schalwerker and the bivoli brothers right and I just learned to i never learned to snowboard well because from day one i had a heavy backpack and i just learned to go fast and try and keep up with everyone and not fall over on the flats you know <laughs> so i never learned i didn't come from a snowboarding background and I, I, till this day i still haven't done a backside air like yeah yeah so you just threw I've yourself just, into it i just always have a head had a heavy backpack when i've been riding I've yeah just, i mean I, you know i love going free riding without a backpack but i yeah. never did when i was learning so it's yeah i'm still actually learning how to snowboard better which is pretty cool well that's that's great part about snowboarding isn't it? that you know it never ends up does it doesn't doesn't matter yeah well i have to pick my days now my knees sort of dictate when i decide to ride good or not (laughs) yeah yeah well that also happens doesn't it right so that was the that was the start so did you because i guess we would have met i think i remember meeting you for the first time at the properly at the european open probably about 2001 maybe was that in lavinia yeah i think so living yeah that one where burton yeah. really free money at it and there was yeah. free taxis around town exactly and, yeah and you could the just hail it wasn't open you could you could hail a cab couldn't you and yeah. just get in it and i mean yeah. jesus that that goes Billy to Luoma and benedict and all these guys are yoni malmi and jeans yeah. and all that yeah, yeah. so and i remember pipe was in town right like yeah sort of yeah yeah and i remember seeing mickle ride that and he was about 12 yeah yeah oh that whole little crew was there it was yeah. um ollie gitler mickle yeah freddie ospo freddie ospo that's what i was gonna say um yeah couple other kids from america i can't remember but so i remember we all did loads of articles didn't we about like the next generation of scanner kids yeah. kind of thing yeah. Yeah. yeah so 
I remember meeting you then. So obviously in that intervening time between 98 and this time, you started to kind of sell shots and, and, and get a foothold, if you like, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, in the first few years of my career were very UK scene based, you know, through Jamie Philp. He was the kid that was coming up and killing it then. You yeah, know? Um, such an amazing pyro. Oh, yeah. And so I started getting shots in the in Snowboard UK initially. And then I think it was 99, I went with those guys to New Zealand. And it was like Nicholas's first trip to New Zealand. And we ended up shooting a, a real cool like a hip in um treble cone and that was my first covers and nicholas's first covers i think we got two or three covers out of that that trip snowboard uk was one of them and uh so yeah i was really deep in the uk scene i went on quite a few trips with uk uh yeah it was snowboard uk first and then i guess document yeah document uh, we used to buy shots off you didn't didn't we white lines but yeah i did quite a few trips with ed blomfield from document later and um well, Ed, then, no, I think you did stuff with Ed for White Lines right later on. Is that right? Because Ed, Ed was, Ed was definitely White Lines, not Document. Oh, okay. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a while ago. So it was White Lines. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, it's a long time. I think that was now. probably after, um, me and Chris and Ed left because then yeah. Ed, Ed took over, didn't he? Because we used to buy shots from you, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always supplied shots to all of the UK. Well, that was the mags. model as well, wasn't it? Because you do a shoot like you're talking about to New Zealand, and then you'd be because of the nature of the media. Obviously, you could syndicate the shots, couldn't you? Yeah. And, and that was that. That was your business model, basically, wasn't mm-hmm. it? I mean, I would never go on a trip to New Zealand if I. I mean, selling it to one magazine in Not, the UK wouldn't pay for the trip, so we'd have to sell it in. So I would try and take it a diverse group of riders from different countries so yeah that, you know if you best trip would be an italian a german a french guy an english guy and an american and you can sell that story to all of those countries yeah and make you know you do all right times the money yeah because every country had at least one or two magazines back then yeah yeah, yeah. so that was that was how it kind of started yeah yeah, yeah. and then so you i mean you're still doing it obviously 20 years later so hmm. Um, and you said you got the Volcom job when, like fifteen years ago? So what's uh, this? the first the first contract was two thousand six. Right, okay. Um That was another that was one of the turning points in my life actually. Um the year before I'd uh had a pretty gnarly accident on a motocross bike bike and broken femur and legs and all my toes and things like that and Ouch. couldn't snowboard for a whole year, so I spent the season up in uh, Oslo. And I bought a flash kit. That was back then when everyone was starting to get into flashes, and it was still analog. But it, um, so I went up there and just shot jibbing because I didn't have, you know, I couldn't snowboard, so I could just drive to the spots and shoot. Yeah. And in spring, um, the young up-and-coming ripper Cheryl Mas was just on Volcom, and she was on Forum back then, and they sent her up there, and uh, I got some really, really good shots with her, and Volcom bought a couple of them for. for for ads that went international and that was sort of my entry into Volcom actually through through Shereel and I continued to shoot with her for years and years and years after that um you know we, we were a really really good combo like pretty much just shot with her for maybe three or four years pretty yeah. much yeah just traveling didn't this would be when she was competing as well yeah yeah competing and filming she was doing a lot of filming back then too yeah, yeah. so then what well, and then this broadened into kind of a staff role at Volcom eventually well, I mean, my contract hasn't changed, actually, I think, in 12 years or 13 years that it is. Um, it was always star photographer, but, you know, Volcom's a pretty rad company and they, they just, I've always had complete freedom, you know, and that's one thing, I can grumble about this and that, but I've always had complete freedom artistically and, and travel-wise, basically. I've got a travel budget and, I mean, you know, some seasons are, we need to concentrate on that guy or that guy or that guy, but basically as long as I... You know, tick some boxes. I've had freedom to shoot with who I want within the team, and um, yeah, no, it's been it's been pretty pretty amazing from that aspect. Yeah, right. And you know, what a, what a group of people to work with as well. Yeah. I mean, amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah, it's a very diverse group when you look through the whole international team. Um, you know, you've obviously the period that I've been there. There's been quite a few guys come and go. You know, like people have retired and got older and other people have changed sponsors and things like that but that you know like there's been some pretty amazing people that i've got to know and work with through that through that time a lot of them are still there you know like i mean marcus keller was the first ever guy 
that I shot snowboarding with, you know. Right. Um, and still shoot today, you know. And that's that's pretty cool. And and then all the way through to you know, Jamie and Gooch and and these guys in Villa back in the day. I you know I shot some good projects with him or Giggy. You know they're no longer with with Volcom, but they were incredible and still are good friends of mine. You know, yeah, it's yeah, really, really cool. Yeah, and a lot of travel, presumably. Cause yeah, as we as we hinted, it's a, it's a roving life, isn't it? Mm. That that life. Well, know. I love that though. I've never been one to to stay in one place. I don't collect things. I don't have anything. Uh, you know, I don't have a record collection or so like bone china collection or anything like that you <laughs> yeah. know like i just you don't I get antsy if i stay in one place for two weeks so it's pretty perfect and i just i just love to go new places and meet new people or reconnect with people i haven't seen for a while and yeah yeah this is perfect for that yeah yeah so essentially then your life is is on the road like you have you ever had you said you had a place in europe but have you ever had a like a home base that you could really that you spent a prolonged period of time at in, in this period or have you just always not really. I mean, I've paid rent for sure, but I've just not spent much time where I was paying rent. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got to have, an, especially in Switzerland where everything's sort of official, you've you've got to have an address and you've got to pay tax somewhere and things like that. But I was just never there much. Even if I had a month off, I'd go home for three days and then be like, oh, I'm going to go to Amsterdam this week and there's nothing on, but I've got a friend there and cool to go and visit you know I just, yeah i wouldn't just go home and sit there for a month and be like oh i'm so happy to be home yeah i'd be like oh, i'll do my washing and then leave again sort of thing yeah. yeah so the as we were saying the the seed was planted to 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 kind of bring the adventure sailing you know <laughs> yeah. cha- like, back to this story. Ele- element into it yeah yeah so that was that see that see, was just it um it's a bit of a different idea of life for me now too sailing just gives me well it just gives me an escape really you know i spend i've spent so many years traveling with people and i'm actually getting well obviously i'm getting older every year but the snowboarders that i generally work with and sort of staying the same age if you get what i mean like oh yeah that rotates you know know (laughs) i'm sort of you know i'm getting older every year and the snowboarders are 20 you know which is it's cool because it keeps me young and i know what's going on with the youth and all those sorts of stuff but I really appreciate going away and not talking to anybody for quite a quite a while now when I'm on the boat. That's what I was going to ask because obviously it is, you know, you, you're talking about the fact you've been basically been on the road since you were a kid and mm. you've always like enjoyed this life. But it is it did it did strike me when you were talking to me about it earlier that it it seemed like it was catalyzed by a change, you know, to want to do it, to want to kind of change it up in a way and to, to sort of branch off in a new direction almost. Yeah, exactly. I mean... It's always been a a bit of a sticking point for me. I'm I'm proud of my career and, and everything, but it's at the end of the day I'm I'm promoting consumerism. You know, my work is being used to advertise goods and they are goods, you know, like people buy them and then throw them away. They're consumables. It's yeah it's it's, it's frivolous. Yeah. It's very frivolous what we do. <laughs> it is, it is. And we're all involved in it one yeah. way or another. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's fine, but I'm not like you know, in an ideal world, I would rather my photography was used to do something good. Right. Okay. So yeah. that 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 has been on your mind. Yeah, it's been on my mind, and it's you know it's coming more to the fore, obviously. Um, as, as you get older. As, yeah, as we get as I get older, and as we sort of start realizing what the problems that we're doing to the planet, you know, that, yeah. that's becoming more and more. So I guess ten years ago, I started thinking about this more. It's almost like this kind of use your talent for good thing. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's the whole point of it. I mean, my photography obviously, hopefully inspires people, but I would rather inspire them to go out and do something good or enjoy the nature than inspire them to go out and buy some product. Although, hopefully, the snowboarding stuff inspires people to go out and snowboarding and go in the mountains. It's not all about product, obviously. Yeah. But, yeah. No, I understand. It's... it's- it's a contradiction at the heart of the lifestyle you know that doesn't really get spoken of quite that often um i interviewed jeremy jones the other week and he he kind of covered it on on this sort of you know we travel around the world and i know i'm lecturing people about you know their habits kind of kind of level but there is there, there if you if you are at all thoughtful you know it is definitely 
quite hard to reconcile when you get down to it. You know, it's pretty frivolous. So I can completely understand that you you might start getting uncomfortable with that after you've done it for a while. I mean, we're all really, really lucky. And I mean, to be honest, everyone in the Western part of the world is pretty lucky, really. I mean, you go to a lot of places yeah, the in the world and we don't even, they don't even have choices. The world's tiniest violins, playing, yeah. definitely playing somewhere. Yeah, so, <laughs> but yeah, I just, I just feel with this um, sort of new adventure I'm on with the sailing, I can... You know, well, I mean, it's you know, it's whatever. It's it's the new school thing to say, I guess, like lower the footprint and all that. But it's really just about. I don't need to be part of it all the year, you know. Um, on my boat, I you know, I used sixty liters of diesel in six months last year, doing t- nearly ten thousand kilometers, and the rest of it was just wind and yeah. Or, I mean, I used gas for cooking, but not too much, and the solar power for everything else. And, you know, I didn't go to a supermarket in four months, didn't have internet for three months. And so, you know, my footprint was lower, but I'm not even, that's not the main reason. The main reason is to go and see the people who aren't connected to, to our world. You and, know? And, that, and that's why I've really been enjoying the shows, because I think you, you, you're documenting it. And I'm going to obviously put links in. I really do implore everybody to check them out because they're, they're great and you know like you, you you are documenting it really sensitively i think and you can see the the the, the joy it's given you as well like seeing these places and meeting these people because it it is humbling even just watching it's quite humbling like the you know i watched the one um where you we were talking about earlier remind me what it's called java Hong Tong java yeah and you know and you yeah. get there and they're all performing and you get to sort of see that lifestyle and then yeah. the episode before where all the kids are coming on the boat and that interaction with the kids it's, it's absolutely great you know it must be really really just such a lovely thing to experience uh, uh, you know ultimately yeah well thanks for the for that it's um it's it's been you know obviously building up to this the three seasons i sent in, i spent sailing up and down the coast in australia basically just learning how to sail but the whole idea was to build up to go out to use the boat to go to these places that tourists can't get to yeah and um so you know was, there was a you know, there was some research and there was a build-up and all that. But what's actually happened this season, what I've experienced and lived, is like way above what I could have imagined it would have been. You know, I mean, it's just blown me away. I mean, that Ontong Java, they hadn't seen a a ship or a boat in three and a half years. So like the little kids had never seen someone like me. You know, yeah, never seen, unless you never seen no. a white person. No. Yeah, and it was um, it was just really, really humbling and really mind-blowing. Like a lot of I mean, obviously, some language difficulties. There's not too many people out there speak English, but it didn't really matter too much. But yeah, it was just a completely. It was just a wake-up call for me, you know. Like yeah, like what is what is happiness even, you know? Like yeah, these people are, are really happy. I didn't see one, you know, depressed person. There's no old people homes. There's no, um, you know, no one's on attention deficit drugs there's no one you know there's like there's no problems out there they just when someone gets old and sick they die you don't keep them alive for five years and with you know in a, in a hospital and um they just they just live a really simple good life yeah and communities obviously very clearly such a very obvious statement but you know that's what really comes across in these places you visit and they are like very they're, they're communities aren't they and yeah. young and old like yeah. uh, um in the in the kind of very traditional lovely sense of the word yeah like it just pure pure community you know there's one big family really um and it's super noticeable when you you know i, I flew back for a, a, a month in october to do some photo shooting to earn some money and just just that that first day was so you know you're flying to flying to zurich and just bombarded with advertising and moving images and sound and all you know promotion of products but in the three hours it took me to get to where I was going, not one person said hello or asked me what I was doing. And I'd just come from a place where it's difficult to get somewhere because everyone stops and chats to you and wants to know what you're up to and, and all that. And so it's just such a contrast. Um, yeah, It's just, yeah, we do lose the community a little bit, even though we've all got these social communities that we, we delve into every single day. It's not very uh, real. 
yeah well not compared to that no. yeah so how was the learning to sell part so you, are, are you are you basically saying you were bought a boat and we're on youtube is that, is that well the is that about the size of it I didn't make any videos um because no i mean actually learning on youtube you oh know? yeah well i mean that's that's uh the new way to do things right yeah the information's yeah. there yeah i read all, a lot of books as well there's always somebody who's who's done got a video out yeah. there isn't there yeah. yeah but it doesn't really help you when you know shit hits the fan and a storm hits you're not going to quickly you know get your computer out and like what do i do now yeah of course yeah. it still comes down to using your logic and but it's just a transition um it's not rocket science you know i just spent a few weeks fixing up the first boat and getting to know all the different things and what this rope did and how this and that worked and then just went out the first night I left the marina never even anchored before you know like never put the anchor down and that first day, we hit the ground twice, but nothing too, nothing like life-threatening. And just kept pushing it sort of the first season, really just not sailing too much, just when the wind was perfect, because I didn't know how to sail. I didn't really know what things did, sort of. Yeah, so it's a super conservative, like learn how yeah. it'll work. And, yeah, and yeah. then just over the next couple of years, started going out, like started doing overnight legs or going out when it was, it was a storm coming just trying you know because my my goal was always to go offshore go to other places maybe go around the world i don't know so you just kept pushing it yeah um learning how to deal with storms learning how to reef the sails learning how to navigate at night um and i i bought the boat in australia i mean you you can buy boats everywhere around the world and there's definitely cheaper places to buy them than australia but i that was part of the the you know, the internet research actually was, I realized in Australia, up the East Coast, you sort of get everything from navigating muddy rivers and then um, inland waterways and then there's coral reef the whole way up and atolls and all this. So you get a real broad spectrum of, of learning how to do boating, basically. Yeah. And uh, so that was the reason. And then also the Pacific is sort of the place where I always wanted to go sailing. Is that, I was going to say, see, it sounds like you had a, a grander plan you know and you said you always wanted to visit these communities so that was the part of the world that you always initially wanted to explore like build up to yeah yeah um obviously from a sailing the pacific perspective it would have been better buying the boat on the west coast of the u.s because this, the winds all go from the west coast of the u.s to australia basically and now yeah. i'm on the wrong side but but the downside of buying a boat in seattle for example is if you're learning to sail you go out of the harbour and you're in the Pacific, you know, <laughs> you're just straight into it, you know. Yeah. Whereas in Australia, you've got the Great Barrier Reef, which is like protected and, yeah. you know, so you've got a, this transitions a bit better. But yeah, I'll make my way around the world and then back into the Pacific. That's the plan. Right. So what was the first kind of proper mission that you did as part of this? Well, I actually confident? set off from Australia two years ago in 2017 in my old boat. Um, got three days out and then started stopped at this little tiny little atoll with no one on it in the middle of middle of the the coral sea and jumped off the front of the boat to check my anchor and came back up and then saw that the that the rigging was broken on my boat so i was out there three days from anywhere and then just sort of had a bit of a meltdown for an hour and then spent a day jury rigging it and and sailed back to australia during that little trip i realized that that boat wasn't going to be the boat that was going to take me around the world right so as soon as i got back to australia i sold it and started looking for a new one and now i got the i got the new one and then this 2018 was the the first well when i really started my started my trip left australia and i won't be going back there for probably 15 years right really that's how long term you're thinking What's well the- i sort of see myself doing this the rest of my life yeah and i'm not in any rush to go around the world and then go around again like yeah there's no, no, no there's no deadline on this no the only deadlines i've got uh i've always got it the difficult thing is finding somewhere to leave the boat at the end of the season to come back and do snowboarding you know like finding somewhere safe from weather safe from bandits and somewhere that's payable you know like this yeah. that i can pay for so in the whole solomon islands and png there's there was nowhere like that so i had to sort of get through that whole zone into indo in one season so a lot of the videos that i made a lot of those places that I visited, I, I would have loved to stay a, a couple of months. But you um, had to go. I just out. sort of had to keep going. And I'll go back for sure. But so from now on, I've sort of, I've got to a place where there are more safe harbors. So the region I'm in now in Indonesia, Raja Ampat, I'll 
I might even stay two whole years. I'll definitely stay this whole season. Yeah. Um, because it's just an amazing, amazing part of the world that might not be in 10 years. Yeah. So whereabouts is that in Indo? Because obviously Indo's absolutely huge, isn't it? Yeah, Indo's massive, and that's why I'm thinking it'll take me three years to sort of see Indo. But Raja Ampat's on the extreme eastern end of it. It's still Papua, actually. Right. Um, they're not Indonesian people, as you know it, from Bali. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's it's on the extreme... I mean, half of Papua, the massive island of Papua New Guinea, half of it's actually Indonesia. Yeah. Is that where Timor is? Not Timor's south of that. Timor's between Papua and Australia. Right. Okay. Mm. So what was your route out of Australia to get to there then? Well, first it was an eight-day passage across to Honiara, which is the capital of um, oh, Solomon Islands. Oh, is when you had the kid that turned yeah. up? Yeah, you know, I had the crew member that yeah. was curled up in a ball for eight days. It was a pretty rough trip. It was my first proper offshore trip and... But for me, it was relatively good. My new boat's amazing. It, that was the first proper trip I'd done in it, but I knew straight away, oh, this is this is the, the weapon of choice. Now, you know, I'm going to stay with this boat. It was so good. Gave me so much confidence. And this, yeah, this kid wasn't wasn't really adding to the enjoyment of that trip, but yeah, it was very, just eight days. Very tactfully put. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what, you, you advertised for somebody to basically come and do the trip with yeah, you? Yeah, I thought it was a... a a wise move um, for my first offshore trip. I, yeah. I knew it was going to be eight to fifteen days. Um, I thought it's probably not a great move just to go solo. Obviously, always wanted to 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 be able to I'd practice sailing solo yeah. up and down Australia because I don't want to rely on other people on this whole journey of mine. If I have people come along, it's fine, but I want to be able to sail by myself. Um, but I realized that this first trip probably wasn't a good idea to go by myself. Yeah. But I mean, looking back, it would have been super easy. It would have been way easier by myself than having to deal with a crew member that, you know, couldn't do anything. So Yeah. Well, you um, did it by yourself anyway, right? I did it by myself. But yeah, you, you have to go and watch that video to probably see what that was about. But yeah, they got to Honiara, checked in there because, you know, with a boat you arrive at, it's not like at an airport. You've got to go around and find all the different offices yourself and pay money and all this sort of stuff. And yeah. Then I think I spent three or four months in, in the Solomon Islands, visiting quite a few different places, but generally heading north. And then just crossed through into um, PNG and didn't go to the main island at all, just stayed offshore. I, basically, I'm just picking routes that other people don't go to. I'm right. trying to stay away from anywhere there's airports. Um, yeah, because it, it must be like a bit of a a route that people do right well no solomon islands uh not at all really like, so solomon it's, that, and PNG. it's that unvisited yeah well they've, they've had they've had um you know political struggles and that there in the yeah. last 10 years and it's you it's know with really the internet these days if someone gets robbed and writes it on the internet it stays there forever yeah and people google oh solomon islands and they see that they don't realize it was 10 years ago that it's like oh there was a robbery and they're like well we're not going there so people go to vanuatu and and new caledonia on their boats but they don't go like i only saw one other sailing boat in in three months you know wow um i mean there could have been more that i didn't see but i only saw one yeah. it's it's very very i think they get under under well definitely under 100 sailboats pass through there per year whereas you know fiji you're looking at thousands and thousands and then the caribbean you know it's yeah, just crazy yeah know? so you know, um, but that that's the whole point, you know. Yeah, I was going to say I, that's what you were seeking. Yeah, like I've got, I'm definitely not going to sail through the Mediterranean and I'm only going to skirt the Caribbean, it, you know. I've got no interest. I mean, there's you Google it and there's like a thousand videos about each place. Why would I want to go there? Yeah. You know? Like the whole, the locals, that's their business is to cater to tourists. You know, I don't want to see that. I so, mean. So documenting it is also you know you've talked about how you wanted to basically live a different lifestyle but you know documenting it was also a big big part of it then like kind of try to find these stories is that something that was you were equally interested in in doing well i mean or is that just I've, developed yeah i mean i used to do blogs and stuff back in the day and it was it was always you know i've, I've just got a really bad memory <laughs> so <laughs> and also one my that, one I thing the internet's good for yeah it's all like you say it's always that and I'm really bad at keeping in touch with my my mum and my family, so it was always a good way for you know so that they can see what I'm up to and things like that. And I didn't really have too much of an idea of how to document this this trip, um, 
but when I started getting to these places, it just it just became clear really really instinctively what I wanted to document. Yeah. Um, you know the people. It's always about the people. I mean, I've travelled my whole life and I've seen the most amazing waterfalls and places. But in, if I think back, the the memories that really stick to me, with me are people I've met in some of these places. You know. Yeah. Um. So so that's that's the people are the special. You know, that's our connection, right? I mean, they happen to live in very beautiful places, but but it's it's the people, and and that's what I want to keep documenting. Actually, as I as I keep going around. Yeah, and what have you, you know, it's a bit of a kind of big question, but what what do you think you've kind of, what what do you say you've learned about people in that time, why you've been doing it? Because, you know, you have travelled a lot and you have, but you've travelled in an interesting way because you've kind of, you've travelled, like with the first half of the conversation, the, the kind of snowboardy circuit, which is effectively travelling between islands for rich people really isn't it when you it look is, when you yeah. look at like the global scheme yeah. of things yeah. but then you've got this this part of it where you're traveling to like you say a very different part of the world and very different life experience and, and human experience really yeah i mean it's it's really hard to to compare them i mean one's for work as well one you know the, the traveling for snowboarding has been been for work and for many years i just did that i would fly in do the job and fly out and then a few years ago i started to try and get somewhere a week before the shoot or stay a week after because I realized I'm going to all these places and I'm not actually, you know, experiencing much at all. Yeah. So um, They're quite interchangeable ultimately, aren't they, as well, culturally? Yeah. You know? Yeah, so I'd arrive in, in, you know, I grew up in New Zealand and I realized I didn't even, hadn't even traveled in New Zealand at all, but I've been going back there every August for a month, hanging out in Wanaka and then leaving again. And, yeah. And then I realized, wow, if you go south of Wanaka, it's like Fiordland and all these crazy, crazy places. And so I started getting there a week earlier and renting a car and just going and exploring it. And I tried to do that in, in as many places as I could actually after that because I realized, you know, you can just keep traveling around for years and years and you just know airports and ski resorts. Basically. That's what I'm like with the UK at the minute. Like I kind of... I keep thinking like I actually just want to spend some time doing that really like yeah. traveling around Scotland for a few weeks or mm. not not that it's the UK or Ireland or something you know it's so spent spent my life like traveling to as far away places as possible and never really even been to Scotland I think that's a general thing though I mean many people don't know their own countries that well right yeah um, there's always especially I mean I feel it from New Zealand because the whole world it's just like this cone pointing outwards from New Zealand right and the whole world is out there and everyone just wants to leave but then when you get to Switzerland for example pretty much everyone in Switzerland their goal is to go to New Zealand like, why did you come here and I'm like well I want to get away from New Zealand and see something else and that's, that's the funny part of Chavin as well isn't it because when you go to those places and people are like what the fuck are you doing here you yeah. know like why why and yeah you're like well just want to it's like it's a universal thing isn't it mm. i just kind of want to but see it really so the places i went on the boat this year that's not a topic you know that's the luxury we have in the west that we can jump on a plane and go where we want like these people they'd never most of them have never been off their island there's a very few there's a couple of teachers and a, a nurse that have been back to the mainland for training you know and there was one guy who'd been to new zealand to pick apples once and he was my go-to guy because he spoke good english yeah on on, on this ontong java yeah atoll. but you know they don't i mean I, I it's it's really funny it took me a while to sort of get my head around a lot of it so i was looking for somewhere to go spearfishing and i showed them my phone like a satellite image of their island and so like can you point out where it'd be a good place and they didn't recognize their atoll because they've never seen it from that perspective and they didn't even realize that there's a satellite up there looking down at them, taking a picture of their home. <laughs> it was all foreign to them, you know. Right. And it's like, I'm using that to navigate all around yeah. sailing. And that the concept was just different for them, you know. Right. Well, they um, must have been stoked on that, right? They must have been blown away by it. Like to... Yeah. I mean, everything on my boat was completely foreign. Like, there would be kids on my boat just putting their heads into the, the windows and just watching everything I did because they hadn't seen, you know, just Drink, everything on the boat was totally... Drinking in, yeah. Yeah, luxury to them. One of the coolest things that... Well, I did some research on what I should take to the islands. Yeah. You know, like trading goods or, you know, I took a lot of um, school books and crayons and things like that and a lot of fishing gear and kids' clothes and things like that. But... um. A lot of people on the internet are like, oh, take balloons or take, you know, the kids will love this and that. And I'm like, well, oh, it's just all plastic. This is going to get chucked away when it, you know, like, 
And so I sort of thought, well, I'll take what I'll do. I'll take a little little portable um, printer, a little postcard printer with me. And it worked out to be so cool because I would just take portraits of these kids and print them out right away. And that is, it's, it's not a um, Polaroid, but it prints in three or uh, four colors. So it puts, puts it through four times. So they come out green, then red, then yeah. blue. And, that. and so they're sitting there watching them, themselves appearing. And none of these kids had ever had a picture of themselves before. And they don't really even have mirrors on these islands. There's, you know, there's the odd mirror, but it's not like, you know, all of us, we wake up in the morning and wash our teeth and look in the mirror yeah. and do your hair. And they don't do that. They're not that aware of what they look like even, you know. Um, and, you know, they obviously don't wear makeup or there's no need to look other than you do. You yeah. Know? And so they see this picture coming out and they're like, oh, my, so cool. And. And then they would run around the whole village showing everyone it and it'd come back and it'd be destroyed and I'd have to print them another one. But it was it was amazing. That is amazing. It was really, really cool. And well, yeah, I had to like realign how I did it because I you'd do the first day on a new island, you'd take a picture of a kid and then the next day there'd be like fifty kids. Twenty five kids <laughs> in their canoes waiting for me to wake up, like, Hey, can we have a picture? And I'd be like, Oh, I'm gonna do a group shot, guys. I've only got like three hundred of these pictures they yeah. have to last me the whole season but that's brilliant yeah, they just think it's magic and somehow it comes out they don't realize you gotta go you gotta actually have these pictures and in ink and stuff but how amazing yeah, that was really really cool that's um, brilliant real cool thing that i that i got right yeah, yeah. so where's where's next on the list then that you'd like to check out in this part of the world well i'm just gonna stay as i said i'm just gonna stay in the raja Ampat uh, region the video that i put out last week and the one i'm working on today they're from Raja Ampat. Um, I just had a, I had five weeks there to look around briefly, and it's such an amazing area. It's actually like the ground zero of of coral, right? You know, of coral reefs in the world. Everywhere, as you get further away from Raja Ampat, the numbers of species diminishes. So that's it's it's, it's ground zero. And um, how do you mean? I don't quite know enough about it. What what? So what? That's where it. Well, scientists sci scientists do a lot of studies there, and it's just there's this this the highest collection of coral and fish and and uh, marine life species in the world. There's the highest collection of them. Right. So as you move further away from that, whether it's to Solomon Islands, to Fiji, to Hawaii, or that, the other that's direction, what the, that, that's it just what diminishes. diminishes. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it's the highest collection of marine life in the world, yeah. and um, it's also going to be, you know, as as the oceans changing temperature and salinity and that, it's going to be the most affected as well. Right. Um, so I'm pretty keen to spend some more time looking around and getting involved. I don't really know what I'm doing or how I'm going about it, but um, the YouTube channel was growing and there's more there's a community growing there it's that's that's amazing you know um, youtube's so much cooler than instagram you don't just get emojis as as comments you actually get real connection with with viewers and so i'm trying to use that to hopefully get researchers or people on my boat and take them to these to these remote places that they may maybe can't even get to by themselves and and do do some um yeah, do some research and try and do some good with my boat as well and then document that. Yeah. That would be the goal. Right. But I'm, I don't really have any ins, you know, like I know the snowboard industry in my network and this is all new to me. So well, this is how it starts, isn't it? figure it, it out. This, yeah. is, this is how you got into, how you got into the snowboarding industry that, you know, that it'll come, won't it, because of what you're yeah. doing, basically. No, it will, yeah. That's the thing. And especially, as I said, the, the community, um, you know, as... In the last month, I've, I think I've doubled my YouTube subscribers, and who knows that new four thousand subscribers? Three of them might be scientists, or yeah. their brothers are scientists, or whatever. So it could just start well, it's, rolling. It's so unique where you visiting and what you're documenting that it, people will gravitate to. It, I think mm. definitely, and using like Patreon, right? Is that is that kind of working out? Got an yeah. ulterior motive for asking that question, to be honest. Now, Patreon's really good. I was. Um, <laughs> I was hesitant to start with it. It was actually, you know, my my viewers that sort of pushed me towards that. And it felt really weird in the beginning because I've always, well, I've always just had clients and got paid for the work I did sort of thing. The old, the old model. Yeah. yeah. And Patreon, well, I, I mean, depends how you look at it. And Patreon, it's still that way. People are enjoying the videos and enjoying the work that goes into them and are willing to pay something for it, even though they just can watch them for free on YouTube, obviously. Yeah. But they 
you know, and that that's cool because they really appreciate the work and they want to support and make sure that I keep making videos. Yeah. So that's that's really cool, and and that's an even more in depth community than YouTube. You know, like I know them all. F- you know, there's emails flowing backwards and forwards between all my patrons and me now. You know. Yeah. Um, and that's that's been really cool, and it's getting to the point where there is an income coming from that, and I never imagined that there there would be. So it might be in, that in a couple of years, um, you know, that builds enough that I can really, I can really, really use this community to, to, to get a message out there, you know, a message that I'm really proud to get out there. Yeah. And, um, and have people that are following it and watching it who are really stoked to be along for the ride and, 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 and get something good out of it, you know? Yeah. And in the meantime, continue this lifestyle that you've got of combining this with shooting snowboarding yeah well i mean it might sound as i'm a bit anti towards what i'm currently doing i mean don't get me wrong i mean i've had a dream of a, of a life you know I'm, yeah i mean i love snowboarding it's I, a great i'm gig. surrounded by crazy talented it's a great setup you've got yeah. going <laughs> i mean you know it, it, sometimes i feel a bit grumpy because i'm not feeling that sorry for you <laughs> snow's bad or whatever and then i'm just like yeah but look at what you're doing you know like yeah. um but no, and the amount of friends I've got worldwide and, you know, the amazing friends, you know, like the really talented, like, weirdos of the world that don't fit in anywhere else. They yeah. fit in the snowboard world and, and I, you know, I'm super honoured to call them my friends and um, it's never even been, there's obviously days where it's a bit of a job, but, you know, like, there's, it's a bit of a dream scenario and for me to even be thinking about moving on to something else seems really strange to me, but... It's a transition and my body, you know, I've had three ACL reconstructions and, and um, carrying heavy camera gear and all that. It's sooner or later, there will be a time where I'm like, just physically don't enjoy It's got a shelf life. That, you know? It's definitely, yeah. definitely hard work. But I love that. I still love the creative aspect of it. I really, really love that. I mean, you just had a show in Chamonix, still, right? Still. Huh? You just had a show in, sorry, interrupted yeah. you, but you just had a show in Chamonix, speaking of the creative end of it. Yeah, that was... Um, that was really, really cool. That was, you know, an t- uh, association with Volcom. We yeah. were down there for a, a Volcom shoot and decided to put on a, a show. And that was really cool because, I mean, I'd never been to Chamonix before last year. How crazy is that? That is crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I actually spent two months down there last year and got some amazing pictures of Arthur Longo and, um, yeah, Blake Paul. And, yeah, it was a really, really cool trip down there. And then back again this year and put on this exhibition and then um ollie gitler's band played afterwards and it was a real cool party there was a, you know, a few hundred people there and and a few of the local snowboard sort of scene came up to me and was just super stoked you know because it's such a ski town yeah but there is a real good snowboard community there but no one really does anything for the snowboard community and uh, they were really like wow it's cool that Volcom is coming back in here and um putting on this rad party and exhibition and like doing something and yeah and because longo obviously was killing it the last two seasons down there so there's a lot of people talking about what they went up the mountain and saw the jump or saw his lines and were like wow that was longo did that yesterday yeah yeah. so there's a bit of a a vibe going with the the snowboard scene and there were there was some real cool feedback i got from those people yeah it's really nice so before I just interrupted you, you were about, I think you were about to say that um, you're enjoying the creativity of shooting snowboarding because, you know, obviously you've got this unique perspective on how it's how it's progressing because you're there every day shooting with these these guys. How do you see that side of snowboarding right now? You've got a pretty unique perspective on that, I imagine. Uh, you mean the progression of snowboarding itself? Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. the way the way that the. Well, I mean, I mean it's it's a. You know, it's a juggernaut. You can't really stop it. It's doing what no. it's doing. It's um, <laughs> a very good I way mean, of putting it's, it. It's I've, in all all my career of snowboarding, I've never been to the Olympic Games. Um, it's just not been something that's. I'm not s- strongly anti. I'm sort of anti the way it all come about with fists and everything. But I mean, it is what it is. But I've just never been interested in going there because, again, it's basically just shooting football. You know, there's. <laughs> guys down there that weigh 200 kilos they're probably going to get the same shot as me but they can't snowboard or even been on a snowboard in their life so why would i want to go there but it has progressed snowboarding in terms of the tricks that they're doing these days um i sort of find it a bit sad now obviously with print going and any sort of video that's longer than 
three minutes. You know, it's it's tough these days um, for for young guys to get and have a career in the backcountry. You sort of basically you've got to ride for your national federation till you get to the point where you've hopefully won a few competitions and doors open up to start doing other things. Yeah. Which is sort of how it always was, but it's just much tougher cut now. It's almost like the reward, isn't it? You Mm. know, if you do well, you might get to do that part of it. I mean, Staley's at that point where he could decide to do that because he's got his his own following with the YouTube as well. Billy's probably at that point as well. Billy Morgan, you know, kind of done enough to earn the right to do that. But yeah, like... Do we look at him mm. like super hard road to get that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. That's really changed, hasn't it? Actually, yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, back in the day, obviously, like BJ Linus was still competing at X Games when he was, you know, getting the gnarliest video parts he'd do all in one season, and you can't think about that now. Like Starley, for like, as an example, this season can be his fuck around season because it's just after the Olympics. You've got nothing to lose, sort of. Yeah, but you know that's that's one year and in four and you've got three yeah. years of like that two years of qualification and one year of olympics after that yeah and that sort of but it's tough it is what it is i mean they're all still you know super lucky and fortunate people to get it to paid to go around snowboarding yeah but the progression is i mean we're here in larks now for the bank slalom and i think bank slaloms have done a, a lot for snowboarding they're really bringing back in the older folk and with it the kids that those older folk have now got and i really think the next wave of snowboarding beginners is happening because of this not because of the olympics yeah you know yeah um the like, family the yeah. family vibe i mean i mean with the bank slaloms has also come you know returned that just the turning you know like just the the whole way the boards have all been shaped nowadays and all that so I really think the banked slums are just as important as the, the Olympics to the whole snowboarding scene. And it gives you an alternative. You don't have to go and ride the superpipe. You can go with your buddies and ride the banked slalom course. So yeah. next week after Larks, after this competition, that course is there for the ne- for the rest of the season. You know? Yeah. And people just train, like just go 20 people in a row through it. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's bringing back the accessibility, isn't it? <laughs> Basically, you know. Well, it's not about... It's not about... um performance as much you know well i mean obviously you want to get a fast time during the event but um it's not judged and it's basically just fun and so i think that's that's really cool um as far as competitive snowboarding it's i think it's a bit yeah it's a bit miserable at the moment there's no real focus you know like uh you know the burton series has sort of gone away there's only the u.s open now the Tour is i guess one event the Arctic Challenge is no more. Like you know, it's it's a bit miserable. What's going on, sort of, with that? But I guess that's also a financial thing. Maybe there's just no cohesiveness. You know, when you look at surfing, they've just got their their game together. When in terms of selling a package, this is surfing. This is yeah. competitive surfing. Whereas nobody doesn't have that. No, and people have tried, haven't they? But just I know you mean. It just kind of feel like the battle's been lost a bit, really. Yeah, but I think it's a transition period. I think everyone's just a bit like, oh. Yeah. But I think something that will again. come out of it. Yeah. I think yeah. something will come out of it. And the young the young kids don't even know about... No, they, they, they definitely don't remember ISF. No, they, they don't. You know, like... They think it... Well, I did something recently where that came up and someone came up to me afterwards and said, he's like 25 and he was he was a bit like, oh, God. He's pretty much like, God, you old farts, like banging on about that again, you know? Mm. And he was a bit like, I don't give a fuck about that, you know. No. Cuz it's just well, literally happened before they were born. <laughs> yeah. But I mean it is I mean you go to Sasfay in October and you know they've they built a beautiful pipe up there and it's a great park and they have the stomping grounds and Charles Beckinsale comes in and builds a fantastic course and all this. But there's just as many coaches and physios up there as there are riders if not more actually yeah. some riders have their own coach and physio and so they come up with their little chairs and they sit at the top or the bottom of the pipe and film everything and give feedback of every run and and that's not how snowboarding used to be um but yeah i, I mean it is what it is i mean yeah it's created jobs for a bunch of new people i guess <laughs> yeah well, it's like you say it's a juggernaut isn't it you're never gonna you can't really control mm. it but i mean what you really notice is the sponsorship from the industry of these riders who do 
compete full time, it's pretty much non-existent. Mm, yeah. Yeah, they don't like, get supported really. Yeah. I mean, look at the Swiss snowboard team. There's, apart from the Swiss Ski Federation and maybe Red Bull, I don't think any of them have a board sponsor or maybe even a clothing sponsor, maybe a flow clothing sponsor, but no one's getting paid. No. And that just sort of shows you the relevance to the indus- industry or what they think they can get back from being involved with their athlete. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a, definitely a bit of a split, isn't there? Mm. Yeah. Man, I really enjoyed that. That was wicked. Thanks so much for doing it. Yeah, it's been it's been rad. And thanks a lot for the invite. I've been listening to your very interesting uh, podcast. I've still got quite a few. I actually listened to a podcast for the first time maybe six months ago. I've just never been into podcasts. Yeah, it's and definitely um, having a renaissance. Yeah, what, no, what do you call great. two white men that start together? <laughs> a podcast. A podcast, yeah. I guess. Yeah, it's been... uh, (laughs) That's the gag. (laughs) But it's sort of cool to know that there's still a a bunch of, you know, the older ones that I haven't listened to because whenever I'm driving now, I just put put them in and go for it. And on my boat, I mean, I've got hours and hours to kill every day. That really tickled me actually when you sent me a message saying you were listening to it on the boat. I was like, that's fucking rad. That's great. Oh, well, thanks for listening and thanks for doing it. It's it's awesome. And I hope this uh, hasn't been too much of a jumble of ideas. My, My... my memory of events is uh, a little bit hazy <laughs> everyone, everyone says that yeah. yeah no it's been great thanks man awesome. so there you go that was my conversation with vernon deck hope you enjoyed it lot to think about there eh full of admiration for the way vernon approaches his life so purposefully and i hope everybody got as much out of that episode as i did definitely go and check out learning by doing on youtube if you're not bored of me saying that by now i think he's done about 60 or 70 episodes that oh he's getting on for that anyway there's a lot to catch up on and if you dig it, why not sign up to his Patreon page to support his work and help him take his films to a wider audience? You can find Vernon over at Vernon Deck on Instagram so he can keep up with what he's up to, his travels, updates on when the latest episodes are arriving and all the rest of it. So like I said at the top, I had a really great time in, in Larks. I'm having a really difficult time saying Larks. Normally I call it Lax, but I got proper dissed by the bus driver. I mean, it's not how you say it. I get it. But Larks, I mean, that's just doesn't square with my accent, does it? Anyway, I had a great time in Switzerland. So thank you to my friends Astrid and Birgit for hosting me for the two days I was in town. Like I said, there's a lot going on. There was the Sudden Rush Bank Slalom put on by Terrier and Nicholas Muller. The Tidal Art Show, as I said, put on by Aaron Schwartz. And I had a really good couple of days. A great time snowboarding, hung out at the Bank Slalom, went to the art show. Generally reminded myself that sometimes snowboarding can be really, really fun. And that was one of those occasions. Also finally tracked down Scofe for the podcast, which is coming up soon and which was really fun. Actually cracked me up that one, as it always does, hanging out with Scofe. And I did see Terry A. I put this on Instagram saying I might get the chance to interview Terry A. I did see him and we did have a chat about doing the interview, which is progress because we've been chatting about doing the interview for ages now. Going to be honest up front, say we didn't tick it off this time around, but there's a loose plan to get together and go and see a game, football, that is, at some point and do the podcast at the same time. Now, me and Terry originally became friends after I interviewed him back in the day and it became apparent he was as mad on football as I am. Since then, we've stayed friends, kept in touch, been to a few games and all that. So that's the plan, really. God knows when it's going to happen. I'm gunning for the uh, United-Chelsea game at the end of April in Manchester. So you never know. Maybe that will happen. It's happened before. So we'll see. Also chatted to Nicholas Muller, another much requested guest about coming on the show. Happy to report that he listens to the show and he's up for it. So again, we were just like, all right, well, let's let's try and work that out at some point. Did meet Jamie Lynn, but being that it was pretty late at the art show, there was no way on earth we were getting that one done there. But I did, you know, start the the proceedings of getting on his radar. The point is seeds have been planted amongst these three much requested guests you've got to be careful about how you approach it both in the interview as i often explain and also in trying to land the interviews softly softly kill the monkey as my wife alima likes to say anyway hope you enjoyed this episode with Vernon deck as ever check the website for show notes get in touch to give me feedback share it if you like and if not then that's fine too i'll see you next week nice one mm-hmm.